Hi, everyone. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. And after just one year with Bloomerang, they doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Now, to listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com slash nonprofit dash nation, bloomerang.com slash nonprofit dash nation, or click the link in the show notes. Thanks, and let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Nation. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm Julia Campbell, your host. And the topic today is something that, of course, I love. It's around storytelling, the art of visual storytelling, but more specifically, how can video help build emotional connections and get more increased engagement with your donors? And my guest today is Rafi Dursimonian. And with 20 years experience in results-oriented public relations, marketing, communications, institutional advancement, and organizational development, Rafi brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to all things marketing-related research, discovery, and strategy. And he's also a believer in the emotive power of visual storytelling and has developed a range of strategies throughout his career to help organizations and institutions tell their unique story. Some of the organizations that he's worked for include Clark University, Worcester State, Tufts, Seven Hills Foundation, and more. And he's actually a proud double alum of Clark University. And Rafi enjoys outdoor adventure. I mean, he lives in Portland, Maine, which is one of my favorite places. Live music and Portland's thriving cultural arts scene. He's also a new dad with a 15-month-old daughter. That's so great. I don't know how to pronounce her name. <laughs> Celine. Celine. Oh, my yes. gosh. <laughs> so adorable. Well, we'll have to post. I don't know if you put them on Instagram or if you if you share them publicly, we will put that in the show notes. Everyone loves to see a brand new baby, especially old people like me. But I have a 13-year-old and a, and a 7-year-old. But that's wonderful. So welcome, Rafi. Thank you so much, Julia. It's so great to be here with you today. Yes, I'm so excited. So for my listeners, you know, we want to hear more about you. Uh, where did you start your nonprofit journey and, and what kind of things do you work on today? Sure. Well, I started my career during my junior year in college. I worked full time in London at the Royal Festival Hall, which is one of the world's largest cultural arts organizations. My first 
full-time position at a graduate school. Like you mentioned, I went to Clark in Worcester, was at the Providence Performing Arts Center in Rhode Island. I worked on the marketing team, helping to generate editorial coverage for the theater. I also have experience working in e-commerce. I worked for an international travel company called Orient Express, so got to learn about the world of online marketing. And then I uh, went back into the nonprofit world as a consultant, working on a range of economic development initiatives uh, for my hometown of Waterville, Maine. Also producing artists, learning everything that I was able to work on in Providence, in London. I cut my teeth in higher education as director of the annual fund for a small uh, liberal arts school in Worcester. Rest in peace, Becker College. They recently closed. Oh, I know. So uh, that's so upsetting to even say that out loud. But And then from there, I took a position that took me back home to my home state of Maine at Maine College of Art and Design as their director of marketing, communications, and annual fund. And uh, for the last four years, I've been operating my own enterprise, working with institutions, mostly in higher education, but also healthcare, other uh, nonprofit sectors. As of April, I merged my firm with ERI, a Worcester-based company, and we're specializing in digital strategy. So a chance to tie together all of my experience uh, for the betterment of the clients that we serve. I cut my teeth also in higher ed. Like I worked um, at Boston University for a while doing fundraising, um, and I've worked at Cambridge College and UMass Boston. So yeah, I've worked with a lot of higher ed institutions. But that's great. So New England in the house, New England represent. I love it. So here we are today. We have you here as a video expert. Now, I would say my expertise is storytelling, but it's more strategic and it's more multi-channel. And I really want to drill down into video and why it's important and most importantly, how nonprofits can leverage it. So why is video the most powerful marketing type? Fundamentally, video is where it's at for many reasons, but primarily because it inspires action. And part of my interest in video is around the fact that it can elicit literally a physiological response from us, inspiring a whole range of emotions, compassion, empathy, joy. But when it comes to helping advance organizational missions, I've found video to be a really effective way to connect with a wide range of audiences, to articulate key messages. And over COVID, it became increasingly clear that, you know, as eyeball-to-eyeball meetings became less, you know, likely, just that video is a really powerful way to connect with audiences. I would also offer that there is some statistics to back up why video. I know you're aware over 80% of internet traffic these days is video. It's also 12 times more likely to be shared than any other media type. And there's over a billion minutes of YouTube viewed every single day. So there's a lot of compelling reasons. I could talk about this all day, but like you said in the intro, I believe in the emotive power of visual storytelling because our brains are literally geared towards visual recall. When it comes to raising awareness, It's a really great way to invest in building a profile and a support around any cause. So when we talk about video, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds. And I know for my listeners, 
when they hear video, I'm worried they're thinking, oh, that five minute long interview video where you have to interview everyone at the university or everyone at the organization, have a sit down. It takes six months to film. I've definitely worked on those projects and they are valuable, but what are the trends that you're seeing now? And can you maybe talk about like short form video? You know, where does like social media fit into this? Absolutely. I think you're right in the sense that highly produced video does play an important role And it's not to discount or dismiss that because for certain initiatives, for certain moments, it's important to produce some thoughtful video to hire professionals. But with that said, I think with the advent of our mobile devices and how our cameras have evolved so much, there's so much that we can do ourselves that we don't need to rely on quote unquote video professionals. You know, you mentioned short form videos and No question about it. That is the future of engaging audiences through video. It's easier than ever to apply some light post-production via some tools. For those of you who've been on TikTok or YouTube Shorts, you know you don't need to be a a tech-savvy video guru to make something look awesome. I would also offer that people respond to authenticity. And what the advent of the mobile phone does is it creates more opportunity for authentic moments because you don't have a camera crew. You don't have the lights. It's you, your message, and what it is that you want to share with the world. I personally, I'll be very open with your audience that I am not a TikToker, but I understand the important role that it plays in any communication strategy. It's changed everything. It's changed the game. It really has. Yeah. Fastest growing social media platform. From what I understand, audiences are changing with TikTok too. It's becoming more common with older folks like like us. So regardless of your mission, whether or not you're recruiting, driving enrollment for an institution or building visibility for an initiative, I think short-term video is going to play an increasingly important role as things progress. Exactly. And I know Meta itself is moving Instagram toward video, love it or hate it. I personally think they should stick to what they do best. But I know Instagram Reels, Instagram Stories, and even YouTube, YouTube Shorts, all of that is just exploding in engagement and getting really increased visibility. I mean, I know that I'll post a post on Instagram and, you know, it might get like 40 or 50 likes, maybe a couple comments, but a reel, an Instagram reel could get 10,000 views very easily. And that's just the nature of, like you were saying, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the discovery and the fact that these platforms are kind of pushing out video as their preferred sort of content that they want people to publish. So that leads me to the question on everyone's mind, the question that I get, and there really is no one answer, but How long should a video be? Great question. Well, it's my belief that brevity is key. And from a video production standpoint, it's commonly understood that it's more difficult to produce a shorter piece than it is a longer piece. Based on the myriad of messages that we're inundated with on a daily basis, brevity is essential. I believe that a minute, 30 seconds to a minute, for an anthem video or for some one singular message is plenty of time. With that said, I also think that some topics are deserved of longer form videos. And 
what I would say is that when I see a, a five or seven minute video on the homepage of any one website, it gives me pause because ultimately the homepage is meant to be a doorway to engage. And I think there's some wisdom in keeping those types of videos brief. You know, we mentioned short-term video platforms like YouTube and TikTok. And I believe there's a 60-second cap on that. So that kind of reinforces this notion that we're talking about of brevity being key and working with algorithms to reach the widest audience possible. I totally see your point because what I've seen with my clients is that they have like this one video, but they don't know how to use it everywhere. Or they think, oh, five minutes, I can put it on Facebook. Well, no, but maybe it would work. Five minutes would work on YouTube. So it's important to know where you're putting the video and what you're trying to accomplish. And another question I have, do you work mostly on fundraising videos or marketing videos? All of the above. All of the above. And how are they, how are they different? I would say that what holds videos together, the commonality between a fundraising video or a recruitment marketing video is first and foremost, is it compelling? What's the why? Is it something that is of interest to different audiences? Also, they say that most great stories have a conflict. And I think clearly articulating what the conflict is, if it's a a video for an art school, the conflict is imagining a world without creativity. If it's a food bank, the conflict is uh, hunger. If it's an environmental organization, it's about the future of our planet and the health of generations to come. So I think identifying the conflict is really important regardless of the purpose of the video. Oh, I absolutely think so. And I love that you said a very clear call to action. Now, this is actually something I was working on with a client that they are more academic research-based organization. And their pushback was, well, we don't serve clients. So how can we have people in the video? And I said, well, people are doing the work, right? (laughs) There are people running the organization and there are people that are affected by the work and the research. Yes, you're not a food bank. Yes, you're not a homeless shelter. You're not, you know, an animal rights organization, but you do have a cause and a problem and you're solving this gap. You're filling this gap in the world and there are people affected by it. So for anyone out there that says, well, we don't have people, we don't have clients, you know, we don't work with kids. There are people that work with and for your organization that you can feature. So how can we best structure the video? Because what we want to do is obviously grab attention and get a reaction. So what tips do you have on structuring our video? Sure. No, I think the first thing to do when you're ready to produce a video is to sit down and put some thought into what's the purpose of the video? What's the targeted action or outcome that this video is designed to do? I think a good starting point is to identify what I call evidence points. And these are examples of any organizational mission in action. An evidence point could be someone who's benefiting specifically from a mission. I would also offer an evidence point could be a donor that's been compelled to support a mission as well. While I think featuring and highlighting subjects that are directly impacted by a mission is more resonant for most audiences, there's also a lot of value in having a donor speak to why they support a certain organization in terms of tapping into their sphere of influence and their network 
And this goes back to your universe, Julia, in terms of social media and how you can proliferate these messages and reach the widest audience possible. I would also offer, once you have identified a few evidence points, what you would consider the most compelling evidence points, to ask yourself, how relatable are these evidence points? Which ones of these evidence points are most likely to resonate with our largest constituency base or audience? Like we're saying, is a story about people. I believe people give to people. They don't give to buildings or initiatives or equipment per se. It's about how these things impact people. I think finally, I would say, how does the story reinforce and support your primary messages, your mission, what it is that differentiates you from all of the other organizations out there that are fundraising on a similar calendar? I think once you have a chance to go through these different lenses, you'll be in a much better position to produce a compelling video that's going to make the most impact possible. And you have a nonprofit video resource guide. Is that available on your website? Yes. And I... I'm happy to uh, share that with your audience. And it includes some great tips and tricks, also some cost-effective production tools uh, that you can use. I found that some really simple investments, like, for example, a stand for your camera can go a long way in professionalizing your video. Also, not all organizations have access to a full video team or even a a video professional. So there are tools and resources out there for you to add a little light post-production, adding, let's say, an organizational logo or a lower third, which is basically a caption and a title for any interview subjects or adding some light music. So this video resource guide will point you in the right direction. It also has some formatting tips on how you can optimize your content for a range of social media platforms as well. But I'd love to share that with your audience, Julie. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I'll put it in the show notes. What are some of your favorite tools? You know, I've had a lot of success just using the -the out-of-the-box functions that you can use on your iPhone. Um, I have the new iPhone 14 Pro Max, and it is incredible. The, the quality of footage that you can get. Um, also, I would say um, looking at tools like um, Canva, for example, has some really powerful post-production capabilities that anyone can use. I am so impressed with how intuitive Canva is and the flexibility it has. No, we love Canva. Totally. I mean, you can do so much with it. You'll see this in the resource guide, but there's tools on how to secure audio, royalty-free music. There's tools on hosting sites, YouTube, Vimeo, Google Drive, closed captioning, Big View, Typeito, and there's other ones that have uh, emerged since then too. Um, also, where you can edit outside of iMovie or on your iPhone. Final Cut Pro, Adobe Premiere. These are more for maybe advanced folks who have some experience with video, but there's so many resources out there on how to use it. And one does not need to be a seasoned, trained video professional to put out content that's going to help move the needle forward for your organization. Oh, I have a good question for you because it's listed in the tools. Now, where do you recommend hosting a video? YouTube, Vimeo, Wistia, Google Drive, you list in your hosting. So maybe what are, you know, how do we make the decision about where to host our video? I think 
it makes sense to have all of your video on YouTube, no matter what, only because it's the such a behemoth in terms of traffic. And one thing that we typically recommend for clients is that when it comes to hosting video on your website, Vimeo is more professional. There's something about the user experience and the, the um, user interface of Vimeo that just it more seamlessly integrates. You have more control over what viewers see. You can customize the interface. You know, one pet peeve of mine is when you're on a, a website for an institution or organization and you watch a YouTube video, and then you know how after the video, the other tiles the show up. Or the next videos. And it, you never know. You never know what's going to show up there. <laughs> You're so right. It's very true. But I see that as uh, a diversion from folks learning about your mission. And there's actually some really simple code that you can embed on the video to avoid that. And I should update this user, uh, this video guide to include that because it's something I recently learned about. And I think it's a valuable tip. One important thing to mention, and and you probably have some good insights around this too, Julia, but it's my understanding that social media platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, they prefer the native video file uploaded. So it, it dances better with the algorithms. So that's an important tip that I think uh, many of your audience will be happy to learn about. Yes. And it's important because if you post a YouTube link to Facebook, we have to remember that they're huge competitors and not all social media sites are owned by the same, you know, crazy billionaire. They're all owned by different crazy billionaires, but they do not play nicely with each other. So, and the other thing is if you post a YouTube link on Facebook, it disappears so quickly down the feed. If you upload your video file, you actually have a tab on your Facebook page that says videos. So I, as a user, can go back and look at all of your videos. And it's not a post necessarily. It's saved as a video. Yep. Um, same with LinkedIn. Same with Twitter. You have a media file. And you know Instagram, you obviously can't post a link there anyway. But I think that's such an important point because I see so many nonprofits posting from YouTube, posting from Vimeo to Facebook, and it does, like you said, not does not dance well with the algorithms. And it disappears in two days or something. Yeah. I think the drawback to that is from a, a measurement standpoint, measuring impressions. You know, you have several sources that you need to add up. But it's a small price to pay when you think about the ultimate purpose, which is to reach as many people as possible. Well, let's talk about that. How do we measure the success of our video? That is a great question. There's so many different metrics that you can use. The uh, most immediate ones that come to mind are number of views, of course, and then measuring that against number of gifts, number of donors, total dollars raised. One quick anecdotal case study, when I served as Director of Marketing Communications at Maine College of Art and Design, we produced an annual fund video that helped to drive engagement by 71%. And partially, the reason is because it hadn't been done in the past. And so I think there's uh, some something there. Also, I would say in terms of measuring success, awareness, while this is a little bit difficult to measure, um, as a marketer, we prescribe to this notion of proper dosage over time. And I'm sure you've heard this. It takes you know 13 times for a message to sink in. And 
you know, even scrolling on your phone, uh, you know, before bed, even if you have the audio off, those messages are imprinting on some level. So the 15th time you see something that's compelling, the chances of you clicking on it are much greater. From a, a digital strategy standpoint, there's evidence that shows that websites that have great video on upper level pages have higher conversion rates. And an important metric is duration spent on the site itself, which kind of makes sense. There's some of them are softer measurements, but I think some of the harder measurements that come to mind are number of views, impressions, clicks, duration on a page, and then ultimately translating to registrations, gifts, uh, inquiries, applications, etc. Exactly. I also think that with the shorter form videos, it's really hard for you to draw a line between I saw a TikTok video and I made a donation. And nonprofits so often want to draw that line between every piece of content they create. But I think it's missing the point of, like you said, awareness. And if people are seeing the video, they're seeing the video in an email and clicking on it, or they're seeing the video on your website, or they're seeing it on any of their social media platforms, and then you come at them with an ask after that. It has to be looked at as like a marketing ecosystem and not as a, oh, I post a video once and I didn't reach my fundraising goal, so it was a failure. Because you don't know what's going to happen later down the line. Absolutely. And like you pointed out, if you are uploading these videos directly to social media, there's record of that, easily conjurable record of all of those great video assets. But you know, there's definitely science that shows that 81% of donors said that their perception of an organization is uh, their most important influencing variable in making a gift. That was a Google study. I think I read that. Yeah. This I pulled from Pew Research. Oh, yes. Pew Research, you're speaking my language. I love them. <laughs> They're a, a source that I trust and you know, I wouldn't quote them if I didn't. I always refer to them like my audience is probably tired <laughs> of hearing about them, but they're amazing. But just uh, one quick stat that I think I found compelling is that 57% of donors made a gift after watching an online video. So, you know, it goes back to what we're talking about in terms of the physiological responses that video can elicit. And after you see something, after you're compelled by a mission and the impact that it has, you're obviously in a much more uh, likely state of mind to make a contribution if you're in a uh, position to do so. So congratulations on winning the Platinum Viddy Award. It's V-I-D-D-Y. Your company won Best Short Video for something you produced at Worcester State University. What I think is so funny about that is I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but for people that are not from Massachusetts, (laughs) Worcester is spelled W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. It looks like Worcester. I didn't spell it wrong but we pronounce it Worcester if you're from Massachusetts. So tell me about this project. Tell me about this video. Julia, this is one of the probably most uh, rewarding projects that I've had the pleasure of working on. Uh, We partnered with Worcester State University to revision their external communications presence. We did a new website. We rewrote content for all their primary landing pages, and we produced a significant bank of video content. 
it was so much fun interviewing 40 students over the course of a week on campus. And part of what we did as an icebreaker was played off of the woo, which is for anyone in the greater central mass area, you'll know that there's the woo socks and there's uh, the Worcester is kind of uh, affectionately known as the, the woo. And we made the recommendation to rebrand their student portal from my WSU to my Wu State. So this video was an icebreaker. One of the first things we said during interviews was, give us your best woo. And the responses are hilarious. And it's only a minute and 14 seconds, but we were so thrilled to receive this recognition. Part of one thing I'll mention about the Worcester State Project was that we were thinking holistically about their video strategy. It wasn't just about delivering a series of videos that spoke to certain topics like campus life and research and faculty relationships. What we did was we took these interviews and we mined some of the most compelling responses that we got from interview questions. And in addition to editing longer form 90 to 120 second videos, we also just harvested small clips that we used as part of their ongoing social media strategy and also a strategy to engage folks on upper level pages throughout the site. So I think that's important to mention because there's a lot of mileage and a lot of repurposing that one can do with video content once they have it in their possession. That's so fantastic. Um, So I will post that in the show notes, I will post the nonprofit video resource guide, but where else can people find out about you and, and learn more about your work? Yeah. So invite your audience to connect on LinkedIn. Also, eriedesign.com forward slash insights. Uh, we're publishing on a regular basis topics of interest and relevance to a whole range of folks. Um, but I would say we'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Yes. Okay. I will post all of that in the show notes and this was wonderful. I know people are going to have a lot of questions. They're going to want to watch that video, but Rafi, it was wonderful to meet you and get to know you a little bit. And I promise I will come visit the next time I'm in Portland. That sounds like a plan, Julia. Thanks so much. Truly a pleasure connecting with you this morning. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then, you can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell 77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Mm-hmm.